Amen. Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. Is it unbelievable that we're already in March here? This is incredible. We are 62 days into this year. 62. And we are now engaging in our Ancient Paths series. The title of tonight's message is Ancient Paths, Agent of Change. Somebody say, Agent of Change. Agent of Change. Turn with us as we jump right into Scripture to Jeremiah chapter 6, and we're going to take a look at verse 16. Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Anybody started asking for the ancient paths yet? We're we're just at the very, very beginning. We're taking baby steps in this ancient path, but we are definitely taking steps. Ask where the good way is. The only good way is and walk in it. Somebody say, I'm going to walk in it. I know you are, and you will find rest for your souls. Church, you have begun to ask for the ancient paths, the only good way. Somebody say, only good way. Only good way. My goodness, the Lord is going to show us that tonight. You've even begun to walk in it. And like a watchman on a wall, the Holy Spirit has been declaring to us with a clarion call the exact path that that we have to walk in. He's showing it to us, he's laying it out, and he's going to continue to do this over the next 40 days or so, which is going to put us at a very, very interesting time of the year. If you haven't figured this out yet, I I invite you to look at that. See, on, on Sunday, we started talking to you about the miracle of fermentation. Anybody love the miracle of fermentation? Yeah, I know what some of y'all mean, but we're talking about the miracle of fermentation in this house. Let's all turn to Luke chapter 5 and look at verse 36. Say agent of change whenever you get there. Now, Jeremiah 6.16 has been such a pivotal scripture for us. It's how we close Sunday's message with the call to stand, to ask, and then we're going to walk in it. Well, isn't it encouraging that we're, we're just beginning this series, that there's so much for us to discover, to ask for, and to walk in? Now, here in Luke 5, we'll pick up in verse 36. It should ring some bells of what you heard on Sunday. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will still not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And here's the part. No one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say, the old is better. Better. See, when we're looking at this old that is better, we're looking at the ancient vine that produced ancient Israeli wine. You guys remember that? And the declaration is that the old is better. And the old wine being put into new wineskins is what we're looking for. For this soft and tender heart to receive and return back to the ancient vine that had the ancient wine. So let's look at this a little bit further, as you should remember from John chapter 2. Yeah, before you get to John chapter 2, I don't want you to miss it. That pastor just slipped in something in there in on you that was was really kind of neat. The passage is talking about making sure you don't pour new wine into old wineskins, lest you burst the skin and mess up the wine. The whole point is that you're trying to keep the old wine. What Pastor did was just pretty masterful there. He said the only version of this that you didn't see on the page. He was saying, what about the old wine that is poured into new wineskins? See, what the Lord is doing is he's taking that old ancient wine and he allows it to be poured into us. He is pouring his ancient wine from that ancient vine into you and me. Has anybody tasted of that heavenly wine recently? Yes. See, what we're wanting to do is connect you with this ancient wine so that it's being poured into you constantly. That you're not settling for some uh, boxed wine version. I apologize to all those of you who, who like boxed wine, but it ain't better. It doesn't match up to the old wine that God has. John 2, be with us there. In John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 8. 
Say, agent of change when you get there. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Isn't that an interesting detail that the word gives us? The servants were like, no, there was water, and now this is wine. What is going to happen? You're the guy presenting this cup of wine to this master of the ceremonies here, and they're going, wait, this is, this is incredible. I just dipped into the water, and I poured out some wine. I don't know what's going on. Then he called to the bridegroom and said, verse 10, everyone brings out the choice wine. Somebody say choice wine. Choice wine. You bring out the choice wine because it's from the choice vine. You bring that out first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have already uh, had a little bit too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In case you forgot, this is the first miracle that is recorded that Jesus did. And Jesus is connecting their day with that ancient vine, that ancient wine, and the ancient path that God has set forth. Proven by the fact that this wine was the best. It wasn't just, not only is the old wine better, but the old wine is the best, and that is proven here. But let me, let me remind you of something here that I'm sure you know, but I want to bring it to the top of your attention. Jesus did this where? Where did verse 11 say? He did this here in Cana of Galilee. He was at a Jewish wedding with Jewish attendees, with Jewish vessels that were for Jewish ceremonial cleansing rituals. The six pots that he went to that carried about 20 or 30 gallons apiece, these earthen vessels were actually designed, the water that was in them was designed for cleansing rituals. Let me say it a different way for you. They were designed for a Jewish people to enter a Jewish holy place so that the same Jews could rightly worship the God of the Jews. Perhaps you're getting my, my subtle theme that we're talking about here. That this ancient wine was an ancient Jewish wine. Now, I know that this church, we are falling in love with this concept. We are working to understand this. But I can promise you, we are not overdoing the emphasis on Israeli-centric part of this word. We've got to do this because we're actually already going to help you with some verses that we're going to read later on. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time that if you're not really tuned in, you might miss the Israeli-centric nature of the entirety of the Word of God. But before we do that, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32 to continue with this Israeli-centric understanding of the Word. Deuteronomy 32, let's look at verse 8 and 9. There we go. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance when he divided all mankind. He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Listening to this verse, it should bring back to memory of almost a year ago when we were covering the Celestial Power series. That when we're reading here, we know that speaking of the Benai Ha'elohim, and they were given a national inheritance. And that the Most High is the one who assigned that inheritance to them. Do you guys remember that from almost a year ago? He then assigned himself for his inheritance, his allotment, the very people of Israel, the very family of Jacob that's being listed here. And for this understanding, God deals differently with his people. He always has and he always will. He makes a distinction between those who are his and those who are not. What we're pointing to is this. There is an ancient allotment. An ancient even in the days of Moses. That By reading this, right? We're hearkening back to Genesis 10 in the very things that he's saying. Do you realize that's almost a thousand years? Genesis 10, the occurrences and events are a thousand years before the time of Moses. 
What's what we're reading right here in Deuteronomy 32? It was ancient to him when he's referencing this in Deuteronomy 32. And here's what it was aimed at, that this ancient allotment that's on the ancient path was a singular plan and path that God had in mind even before time began and is repeatedly being revealed throughout the generations. Church, we want you to know tonight that we are making a clarion call. We are trying to sound a trumpet for you today, like watchmen on the wall, that the ancient path is the only thing that we're after. But the truth is, is and you heard it on Monday night in Foundations, yeah. our brothers so eloquently covered it, that there are many ancient paths. Wait, what? Yeah, there's a lot of ancient paths. There's yeah. a lot of paths that go back a long time. See, we're not just like connoisseurs that's just looking for something old. We're looking for the only good way that God has for us. It is the ancient path. It's the most ancient of paths, and that is what we're after. Think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you can see the constant attempt to corrupt the ancient path by providing a deviant path, though it may also be ancient. You're in Deuteronomy 32, right? Look down at verse 31. I want to point something out to you that you might not have seen before, even as much as we focused on Deuteronomy 32 in the last year or so. Deuteronomy 32, 31. Somebody say agent of change when you're there. For their rock is not like our rock. And in case you're confused by which rocks we're talking about, you can look at the capitalization of our scriptures to help you out. Their little rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies would concede. Listen to verse 32. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields or the vineyards of Gomorrah. Their grapes wow. are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Wow. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Come on now. It was right there the whole time in front of us, wasn't it? It was. Let's keep going. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. <laughs> their path will be exposed for what it is. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. Their vine, their grapes, their wine. My goodness, what is going on here? But if we're not seeing an ancient corruption of God's path. You're talking about a corrupted vine, not the choice stock that God brings with his people. These grapes that aren't righteous fruit, they are literally filled with poison. You're talking about wine, those venomous, their venomous, and their version of lasting fruit. What is the, what is the fermentation process that's going on inside of them? It is deadly, just like the serpent was in the garden just like what the serpent was rallying for and trying to corrupt in mankind. This is an incredible idea. And if you go back to the garden, you can also fast forward to the book of Romans. Yep. You can think about through one man, this, through Adam, sin therefore entered creation and began to work its way all the way through. But through one man, Christ, there's a different kind of, of understanding that's beginning to work its way through. By the way, this is all held here in Deuteronomy. This is all held in reserve. Isn't that interesting language? See, you thought it was the wine connoisseurs from, from the Bardos in France that, that created the reserve. The vault. Yeah. Right? Exactly. God says, no, no, I've got reserved for these special ones. I've got reserved judgment for them. Do you know why? Because they're propagating a deviant path. It's almost like it's a byway. It's a, it's a sideline. It's something that's supposed to look like the ancient path, but it leads you to death. Talk about God's indignation and anger at these deviant but ancient paths. You heard it from our brothers on Monday night, and you're hearing it from us tonight. So in this, in this very passage, let's go back one more verse here. Verse so 34. In, in this passage, I'll pick up in verse 32, in fact. Look at the progression that it starts at... They, they're vine, right? What grows on the vine? Grapes. That's the latter half of verse 32. So we're going from vine to grapes, and then verse 33, it says, they're wine. Well, what has clearly happened in this very linear progression of the Scripture is that there's been a harvest and there's been a fermentation, right? 
to go from vine all the way to wine. But it's not the miracle of fermentation that we spoke about necessarily last Sunday, as it is in a believer, but it is a fermentation of God's judgment. And that fermentation of God's judgment is literally being bottled up and held in reserve to be poured out at a later time. Let's look at this. Now, granted, what led into this Deuteronomy scripture was what I read earlier in Deuteronomy 32 about the Benai Ha Elohim, referencing back to the celestial powers, these age-old fallen archon that God is going to deal with and eventually will have his full wrath poured out on them. Let's go to Revelation chapter 16 and look at verse 19. Agent of change whenever you are there. There we go. Revelation 16, 19 says this. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. As we're looking at the culmination of God's kingdom and his full recompense coming to earth, it is simultaneously salvation for the righteous and an outpouring of the wine of his judgment on the wicked. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin at verse 33. Man, isn't it incredible Ooh. to see the wrath, <laughs> the cup of the wine of God's fury being poured out? That thought is something that makes us tremble because we want the, the miracle of fermentation to be at work in our life. But look at Matthew 21 and verse 33. Somebody say agent of change when you get there. Okay, y'all ready? Y'all with us? Listen to another parable. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. You ready for this? There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. This is Jesus speaking, get, using an illustration for the people who were listening to, them, to him. The Jewish population around him was listening to this. But can you imagine that Jesus is not just making up something on his own? Don't you know that by now? Don't you know that he was probably referring to an ancient path? Hold your place there. Let me read to you Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 7. Listen to this. We just, we just read it to you out of Matthew 21. Now listen. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. It just acknowledges that Jesus is telling them a parable, but this is Isaiah 5 about 700 years before. I will sing the... I will sing for the one uh, I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. Wow. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Jesus is almost verbatim quoting from Isaiah 5. Yeah. Now, many of you in your Bibles, it doesn't even show you that that's a quote. It just says, he says it's a parable. There's no need for even us to look and find an ancient path for what Jesus said. Church, it is my supposition that every single thing that Jesus said is either a direct quote or he is referencing back to the entirety of the Tanakh at some point. Yeah. Uh, this, there is no other way that Jesus can do this. Let me read to you. Isaiah 5 and verse 7 before we go back to Matthew 21. You ready for this? The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. How's that for a Peshat verse? Amen. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. See, what Jesus and what God is saying here through Isaiah the prophet, he's like, I already put you. I chose you. See, this is not a new concept by the time we get to John 15 and Jesus saying, I am the vine. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. See, we just keep pointing back to more and more and more ancient truths that are supposed to be building. And as children of God, as those who have been grafted in, we are supposed to be able to see these things and it begin to impact our life. Let's go back to Matthew 21, having that in mind now. 
Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect its fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Before we move on to verse 37, do you see the continual connection to Isaiah 5 and verse 7, where he said, but bloodshed, uh, and he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed? This is exactly what Jesus is referring back to. Verse 37, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Now, look, before we really digest this and give some more details about it, uh, I want to tell you, this is where the aids that you have in your Bible may be more harmful than helpful. Your heading may call this section uh, the parable of the tenants or the parable of the, the wicked tenants, right? With that perspective, you might lose the very importance of Israel that's found here because you are thinking about tenants as it relates to you Gentiles. It's my sin that put him on the cross. Well, yes, that's true. But the context of the first century interpretation is that he's speaking to Jews about Jews. The entirety of the story is about the importance of the Israeli vineyard and even more so the ultimate victory of the son of the vineyard owner. Think about the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Right. The truth is, is this is less about the prodigal son and more about the incredible father. Right. That story. It's misnamed. And so you focus you can focus on the wrong thing by misnaming this. You can come up with the wrong conclusions. We're telling you this is not as much about the tenants as about the victorious son of the vineyard owner. Yeah. Take a look at the next verse. Verse 41. So Jesus asked the question, therefore, what will the owner of the, when, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Verse 41, their response. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of crop at the harvest time. Now, this isn't Jesus speaking here. But this is the Jewish men to whom he is speaking, and they are absolutely getting the message that he's, that he's presenting. Yeah. They're getting the message that when you don't remain connected to the vine and produce lasting fruit, you're going to be cut off and brought to a wretched end. But let me help you with your understanding as we're walking through this. Some of you are already piecing it together. But the renting the vineyard to other tenants is not speaking about you and me. Renting the vineyard to other tenants are speaking about other Israelites who will, in fact, fulfill their national destiny. He's speaking to other Israelites here at this point. These are two Jews, and we can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. We can show it to you, and the key to this is we're just going to keep reading a few more verses. And you're going to see the brilliant deductive work that we did because it is clearly stated right here. But if you're looking at this and thinking about just tenants or just any random vineyard, then you miss the beauty of what Jesus is actually saying. Take a look at verse 30, uh, 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taking, taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces anyone on whom it falls will be crushed how many times has that scripture alone been used to justify doctrine of replacing replacing israel 
altogether. But all you have to do is just read the very next verse. When the chief priest and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Wow. Bible commentary. I need, I need some help right there on that one, right? They knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people uh, held that he was a prophet. Verse 45 gives us the clear interpretive key. They, meaning the chief priests and the Pharisees, knew that the parable was speaking about them, not about Israelites and the nation as a whole. They were the ones who had left the, and the chief priests and, and Pharisees had left the ancient path of righteousness and they had become deviant, venomous, bitter, and poisonous teachers and leaders of the law. The ancient solution that Jesus is calling upon here is to remind them of an ancient time during the king, during the time of King David, meaning that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And like David, the Davidic son would also be rejected, but would give the kingdom to those Jewish people, the Jewish branches, Jewish leaders like the disciples who were present with him, who would produce the lasting fruit that is derived from connection with the vine and who had the miracle of fermentation now at work inside of them. It wasn't about giving it to a, another nation. It's to men within the nation of Israel. The clear understanding of this passage is that Jesus is stating that the kingdom of God will be taken away from the, uh, the leaders, the chief priests and Pharisees that were unfaithful, and given to other Israeli branches that would produce fruit and experience that miracle of fermentation. Church, that's really good. That understanding, I have to be honest with you, that's not the way that I've always read this passage. Immediately, I would look at it, look, I get to be grafted in. That is not what he's saying. He's actually staying focused on the Israeli vineyard, on the vine, on the branches. Those who are unfaithful are gonna be, and not producing fruit are going to be cut off, and other righteous branches are getting to be grafted in there, and that is the picture that we're seeing. Now, we've talked a lot about fermentation, but what is the agent the catalyst of fermentation. It's yeast. Let's take a look. We want to make sure that everybody understands actually what yeast is. It's a microscopic fungus. Well, that sounds exciting. It's great. Sounds tantalizing. Consisting of single oval cells that reproduce by budding and are capable of converting sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Okay, now we're getting to something. Synonyms include leavening. Where you get the word leaven, you often see the, throughout the Bible the word leaven. To ferment, a fermenting agent. This is all synonyms for the word yeast. Yeast are present on the grapes when they come into the winery. So when you take and collect grapes on the skin of actual grapes is, a, is an inert form of this yeast that begins. But most of these yeasts are what is known as non-saccharomums. That was a stutter in there. That was not actually the word, but I'm going to pretend like Perfect. it was. Basically Say, saying wild yeast is what it's saying. The wild yeast that are there is the main alcoholic yeast used to complete the fermentation in wine, and it's also the yeast used by bakers to cause bread to rise. It's the exact same agent. The interesting part of this is for making wine, it is already on the grapes. Yes. The outside it, skin of the grape. It occurs naturally on the grapes, and when you collect them and begin this process, that yeast then begins as the agent of transformation that begins the miracle of fermentation. It is the actual agent that is already present on the natural grapes. That's amazing. This miracle of fermentation requires this agent, this yeast, to begin to work. Just like there are multiple ancient paths that we mentioned to you, there's also multiple ways to consider yeast and we want to bring a few of them to you tonight. Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 13. As you're turning there, please don't lose the connection that we began the message with as it relates to vineyard, grapes, and wine. And the agent of change that's required to go through that process. And as it relates to Israel and relates to the world. So Matthew 13 verse 33. It says, he told them still another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. So does everybody get that? Kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour or a bushel of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since when? The creation of the world. That's an ancient path right there. See, what Jesus is doing is that he's declaring the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Obviously a very positive reference, right? That there's, yeast is this fermentation agent of heaven. And it's at work in all of creation. It's looking to, to, to permeate all of the dough that is there. The full bushel of it. The 60 pounds of it. And that the ancient truth of this ancient path, it's hidden so that only those who are asking for the ancient paths may find it and begin to walk in it. That's why he's speaking in parables here. But it, it's also paralleled with something else that occurs in the book of Matthew. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Turn just a few pages over to Matthew 16. We're going to begin in verse 5. The idea that the kingdom of heaven is an agent of change. It begins to get in there and it's going to work all the way through your entire life. It's going to work and is going to complete what it was set out to do. That's what the illustration of the woman who mixes it. And by the way, 60 pounds, you realize that the term pounds is a much more modern invention, right? The idea is that these were, this was a measure of flour, and this woman puts in the yeast, and it does what it does. It works through the entirety. It's not satisfied. It won't stop with working just through part of the batch. It's going to work its way through the whole batch. And in Matthew 16, it might be a little bit more familiar use of yeast in verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. This is the Bible helping you out to understand the misunderstanding that the disciples are about to have. They forgot to take bread. Jesus speaks to them and says, be careful. Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Be careful about this. So what is happening? In Matthew 16, you should realize that a couple of amazing things are about to take place. They are just leaving the lake. They're crossing the lake, and they are en route to Caesarea Philippi. They are en route to the foothills in Mount Hermon, the site of Archonic Rebellion and Stronghold there. Jesus is warning his choicest of branches to make sure that they are not contaminated with the yeast of the corrupted cosmos. There are two forms of yeast, and one is like the heavens, and one is definitely of the earth. More specifically, he's saying, don't let the yeast of these leaders that you're seeing get inside of you. These specific leaders, these guys have a different yeast that's involved and is changing them in a different way. He is clearly, Jesus is clearly not divorcing himself from the choice branches. He's not saying that all of Israel is doomed and will always be put aside. That is the opposite of what Jesus does in every single case. He, as the vine, is speaking to his choice branches, warning them against the fermentation agent that can corrupt them, that can cause them to be cut off. He is there with them, and he knows that they're about to get, he's about to walk up to the gates of hell in just a short amount of time. He's about to declare in the very next chapter, it's the beginning of the transfiguration. He is right before that, and he's going forward and saying, hey guys, because I'm in perfect alignment with the Father, I need to remind you not, I need, you, I need to remind you to be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is something that you're going to have to battle and you're going to have to get yeah. rid of it completely. Don't fall prey to this. Now listen to what the discussion is that, conclude, and that continues on. They discussed among themselves and Brenton said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of Brenton and Timo's discussion, Jesus asked. 
You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then, amen, they understood. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, we're laughing because this is us. I picked on Brenton and Timo earlier. I, th this is me on, on any, any good day. I'm missing the very obvious point that Jesus is trying to let me know. Praise God that we have his spirit and word to agree inside of us and give us understanding. Now, look, we want to uh, uh, make it very clear here. Obviously, we're going to walk away understanding this is not about bread. It's about two kingdoms being represented. That this, it, the whole fundamental is, is that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast and the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees are like yeast. So, pastor, is it good or is it bad to have yeast? Well, it depends on what the agent of change is transforming you into. That's the whole point. So whenever we're looking at this, we're seeing an ancient path of the kingdom of God represented, li represented like yeast that will change you into what the kingdom of God is. And that is being compared with the agent of change in teachings of Pharisees and Sadducees that have been a parallel path of righteousness from days old before the Pharisees and Sadducees ever, ever existed. Don't you see in the garden itself when the serpent is saying to Eve, did God really say? He's advocating a way of righteousness that is challenging God's word and wanting to corrupt the very condition of man in their right relationship with God. He was sowing a, a, a yeast that wasn't from the kingdom of God into Eve's ear, just like he does inside of your ear. Wanting you to second guess the authenticity of God's word because it's about two kingdoms being at war. And you are standing right in the middle of the battlefield of that war. That we have the yeast of the kingdom of heaven and the yeast of the kingdom of this world, and they are clashing, but we have the opportunity to know exactly which agent of change that we're going to go to and another one that we're going to get rid of. I can't wait to continue on with this, but Pastor just has said some really good things in this passage. Do you guys understand Jesus' frustration with the disciples here? He even goes back and used them when he took loaves of bread and multiplied it for people and says, I'm not talking about bread. Let me remind you of the examples with bread that we used. I wasn't teaching you about how to do that. I was teaching you about kingdom principles. When you have 12 basketfuls left over, when you didn't have that much to start with, when you have seven basketfuls left over, I was teaching you larger principles I was showing you about my government here. I was showing you different things. And I got to remind you, we're not talking about bread. In other words, Jesus was connecting them with ancient truths on the ancient path. And why they missed this moment is because they were not thinking about the ancient past. They were thinking about their current situation. Anybody ever miss what God was saying to you? Oh, yeah. The reason that we miss what God is saying to us is because we're hearing it from a very now kind of perspective instead of tying it with the much more ancient path of the bigger picture of what he's trying to do. Then he said the exact same thing again. They were like, now we understand. Yes, he said the exact same thing the first time. Thank you, Lord, for repeating yourself for us Gentiles. We so appreciate this. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 together. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
This is in the section in Ephesians where he's saying, get rid of this and put on this. Take off of this and put on this. Get, get this away from you and get this right. Let's put it in terms of what we're saying tonight. Put away the yeast of this world and take upon you and let it begin to work in you and be that agent of change within you. The continuation of that fermentation process so that you can put on my kingdom. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Another way of saying this is get rid of the deviant, venomous path that could still be on the inside of you. And put on this ancient path of the ancient kingdom of yeast and let it begin to work in every single area in your life. There's many ancient paths, church. But there's only one good way for us to follow. And God is working in each of us that his yeast, his agent of change inside of us will, be a, will reach the place where it is all in all, even inside of us, even as it will be for the all of creation. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, isn't it isn't it resurrection power when the agent of change of God's kingdom begins to work inside of you? That he empowers you with the ability to get rid of all these things that belong to your sinful nature? Well, Paul expounds upon this in another way and here in 1 Corinthians 5 that it's just too good to, to pass up. He says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. So therefore, he goes on in verse 7, get rid of the old yeast. Another way to say that is get rid of the agent of change from your old nature, that which you used to be enslaved to, that you couldn't change in and of your own strength nor power. Get rid of it so that you may be a new unleavened batch now we're going to describe this but there's a, a statement of hope pastoral voice that paul has in this very passage he's clearly identifying to them the dangers warning their soul about the yeast of the old man at work and what you must do in response to it but that pastoral voice comes through with the hope of what can be and as it finishes or concludes or goes on in verse 7 as you really are. That new unleavened batch, that untainted batch from your old nature, that Abigail nature that exists within you, as you really are. You know, that encouragement that we get from God's word and the spirit, seeing that his divine nature is already inside of us, there's that agent of change for the kingdom that's already at work within us. And by living to it, it gets rid of that old man that's at work in us as well. It puts to death that sinful nature. Verse 8 says this, Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So watch how this gets put together here. Just a little bit of bitterness, just a little bit of anger, brawling, or malice, it will eventually work through the entirety of who you are. I can't let it sit inside of me because that old man is the contaminated yeast and the agent of change, but not towards the kingdom, it's towards carnality. But with the empowerment of his word and spirit, I'm able to live to the agent of change of the kingdom that is inside of me, identifying it and getting rid of it. Getting rid of this corrupt deviation from the ancient path and be a new batch without the corrupted yeast. Now, I want to make sure that you understand, in case you missed the reference to the ancient path, Paul is pointing them back to Passover whenever he goes on to say about Christ, the Passover lamb. Referencing Passover, he's also referencing the Feast of Unleavened Bread to become a new unleavened batch 
free from these fermentation agents that don't come from God so that the yeast of the kingdom can then be formed inside of you. That unleavened nature that is free from the old so that you can get the kingdom in the new. Come on, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper in this ancient truth in our last few minutes together. Let's do Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. Somebody say agent of change when you get there. The concept that you can see both agents of change at work. Pastor just read to you, you are this new unleavened batch, but you got to get rid of the old leaven. How are you both new unleavened and still have leaven on the inside of you? See, this is, this is the way, this is the state that we're in. We have the kingdom at work in us, but it is our responsibility to get rid of this old leaven, this other leaven that is there. But look at what Leviticus 7.13 says. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. Now, let's be honest. Most of us would have expected that to say made without yeast. Yeah. An offering to the Lord, it is constant. Throughout the, the word of God, it's saying without yeast, without any contaminants from the world, without any of that. And here it's saying present along with your fellowship offering, a fellowship offering of thanksgiving, present an offering made with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. They are to bring one of each kind as an offering, unleavened and leavened. A contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. There were obviously animals that were sacrificed here, but the fellowship offering was originally made with unleavened bread, free from the camp, any contaminants of this ancient deviant path. But what was required to be offered with the unleavened fellowship offering was a leavened offering before the Lord. How interesting is this? Uh, you all knew this, of course, right? We all, we all consider this all the time. The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth is to be joined with the bread that was filled with the fermentation agent of the heavens to show both sides of this. The unleavenedness of the world, there's no leaven, there's no yeast, there's nothing from the world, and yet there's also something at work that is heavenly, that is working its way through. It is then in the hands of the priest and joins the blood of the fellowship offering right there at the altar. Are you getting that the both parts of this sacrifice belong to the priests? Belong to ones who have been consecrated? Belongs to one who themselves understand the difference between this unleavened nature, this worldliness that has to get rid of, and something that's at work on the inside of us, this thing that is changing us constantly. It's at work in every part of our lives. From the ancient times, the understanding of being free from the yeast of this world and then filled with the yeast of the kingdom was in full display. See, it wasn't just Matthew 13 that teaches you that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It's actually showing it to you here in Leviticus 7. Through the laws given to the ancient people, the nation of Israel. And this is something beautiful. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Yeah, when you're thinking about that, that the book of Leviticus is filled with laws that were given to the nation of Israel, aligning them with the ancient paths of God's kingdom. And if anybody ever tells you, is there anything good in the book of Leviticus? Anything exciting in it? You go, oh yeah, sit down. We're going to be here for a couple of hours. I'm going to show you. Look, and here in Leviticus 23 and verse 15, how it builds upon what we just read. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. See, when we look at this, this is speaking about the time initiated by first fruits 
directly after unleavened bread and leading up to Shavuot, Pentecost. And that at that point that of Pentecost, there will be the presentation of new grain, and it was baked with a fermentation agent, a yeast of the kingdom of God as a wave offering of that feast of weeks, that, that end gathering. That this was a time of empowerment and is once again linking the miracle of fermentation of wine to now also the fermentation agent of yeast inside of bread. That both are a display of the miracle of fermentation. That that which grew on the outside natively of the grape is now being applied to also the bread that joins that fermentation of wine. That empowerment to have fellowship with the Father and that empowerment to have fellowship with each other. Don't you notice in the book of Acts that the word of God came alive inside of them when they experienced that miracle of fermentation? Don't you see that in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread and to prayer and fellowship? that eventually led to great miracles in their presence and evangelism and reaching the entire world. Yes, I long for the miracle of fermentation within me, but what I also long for is his word to come alive inside of me. Yeah. I want to be that bread with the yeast of the kingdom coupled with the cup of wine as a miracle of his fermentation and power within me. Yeah. Then I can be presented to those in the world who are dying, who are hungry, who have been eating from a corrupted vine and wine. And I can give them the truth of his word as it overflows out of me with power. Come on. Somebody say that's good. This idea that the only offerings, the only sacrifices that included yeast were offerings that dealt with fellowship and offerings that had to do with empowerment. Where do you most see the kingdom of heaven at work in your own life? You see it in fellowship, and you see it by the empowerment, that, that miracle of fermentation. You see it in both of these areas. But we got something beautiful for you. Turn to Acts chapter 10 with us. Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 1. Somebody say agent of change when you're there. It says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. I don't know if you realize it, but so far, every passage of scripture that we've referenced tonight really has to do with God's people, the Israelites. That ancient path that we are trying to find our way back to, that we are seeing, that we are taking in, but we're beginning to walk on it. We want to continue to walk in that only good way that God has. Here at Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion, a legio member in what was known as the Italian Regiment. This is a non-Jew that we're looking at here. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him. Don't you like that? He distinctly saw an angel. Not fuzzily. He distinctly saw the angel who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Amen. Just like any of us would do as we're looking into an angel's eyes. What is it, Lord? He asked, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial. They've risen. There's something about your life that has this kingdom kind of yeast at work in it, and it is causing what you're doing to rise before God himself. It's come up. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up. They've risen as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. See, Cornelius was a man, a Gentile man, who was filled with the fermentation agent, the very yeast of heaven, and it causes gifts and offerings to the poor to rise as a memorial before the Lord. See, he and all his family would then experience the same miracle of fermentation that the apostles had at Pentecost. This is so important because what was natural 
what was natural in the Jewish community, what was on the skin of the grapes even as they were collected from the vineyard to be processed so that the miracle of fermentation could take place. He is not of the same substance. He had to have the yeast of the heavens added to him. What came naturally for one has to be added to the other. But you know what the results of this agent of change is? They both get the miracle of fermentation at work in their life. Yeah, they They're do. both, both the Jew, the natural descendant, and those of us who are not natural descendants of God's people, we get to have that added. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for adding it. Thank you, Lord, for adding it. So that that can be empowered in your life and there be an agent of change that works all the way through. Look how this continues, verse 44, chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. As they were hearing this heavenly bread from heaven, this word, there was a yeast of the kingdom being added to it inside of their hearts. And the miracle of fermentation happened in Cornelius and his entire household. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Like Pastor was saying, what was natively on the outside of the skin of the grape, and it produced a miracle of fermentation in Israel with an Israeli wine, was now being combined with the miracle of fermentation of his word inside the Gentiles, bringing them to that same experience that they had themselves. But here's the call for us tonight, church. See, we have developed so much of our message to put our right focus on Israel and what God does for Israel and through Israel as it relates at the end for us Gentiles. That we have to get rid of the old yeast that produces envy, selfish ambition, offense, insecurity, malice, whatever facet of our sinful nature that's there. And we must become a new batch a batch that is unleavened with the yeast of this world, and it is ready to be filled with the fermentation agent of the kingdom of heaven, the very kind that empowers our fellowship with the Lord and empowers our fellowship with each other. Look, we're talking about multiplying ministries. We're going to start that this Saturday, and the very things that we're going to do as a body are going to be the demonstration of the miracle of fermentation inside of you, by his wine and by his bread, by the moving of the spirit and the magnification of his word. So let's stand to our feet with expectation. Church, as we're standing, and before Pastor Matt closes us here, uh, Natalie, would you put back up 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7? 1 Corinthians 5, 7. This is an incredible scripture, and I think it is very pertinent to us tonight. The Word of God is instructing us. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Do you hear both things that are here? He's saying, Get rid of this old kind that results in malice. It results in offense. It results in insecurities. It results in fear. It results in intimidation in you and that little bit that's in you. Pastor, it's just a little bit. Yeah, we're saying that you have to get rid of that because the only acceptable version of this is for you to be an unleavened batch, free from the leaven of the world, free from the yeast, even in small ways, even in selfish, ambitious ways, even in things that you don't think are a big deal. And God is saying, tell my people tonight, they've got to get rid of the old yeast. Because there's a new yeast that's supposed to be, that is at work in them. It's what you really are, but you cannot accept both, not in a small proportion, because by the very nature of the yeast, it is desiring to work its way through you completely and totally. And here's the hope. That as you're putting your heart before the Lord right now, you will receive his empowerment 
to get rid of that old yeast. Because Paul says that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. So let's approach his throne right now with confidence. Confidence that he will empower our fellowship with him. He will empower our fellowship with each other as we seek to get rid of even the little bit of yeast that's not of his kingdom and the confidence that he will put into us the yeast from heaven that brings about change. Mighty God, we surrender our thoughts to you, our heart, our attitude. Lord, that we may experience your heavenly, life-giving agent of change. We say, change us to be like you, mighty King. Lord, and you have given us your divine nature, and may it permeate the entire batch of our souls and our minds. Lord, may our words rightly represent who you are and display to the world the miracle of fermentation and change inside of us. Amen. Amen.